the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi there, and welcome to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Today, we continue our survey of Revelation. We're in Chapter 5, looking at the sovereignty of the Lamb. Coming up next... Revelation can be challenging for a lot of folks. Just trying to understand or make sense of it can be challenge enough. Well, today we're continuing our survey of Revelation. We're in chapter 5, making sense of the sovereignty of the Lamb, the scene that's laid out before us here in chapter 5. Won't you join us? Be encouraged as we seek to understand Revelation together. Here's our teacher, Pastor Gary Wagner, with today's broadcast, of abounding grace. Last week we looked at the throne of God, and today, this week, we look at the sovereignty of the Lamb. As we begin today, remember what Revelation chapters 4 and 5 consist of. They form the theme of the book, pictured for us in unforgettable terms. And the basic literal statement of these two pictures is the sovereignty of our God. Remember, the church lived in tempestuous times in the first century, similar to what the church faces today. Though at least here in America, we don't face as harsh a trial as they faced from two very great enemies. There was apostate Judaism that persecuted them and sided with Rome in their persecution up until Jerusalem fell in 70 AD. Then thereafter was the beginning of ten waves of ferocious persecution of the Christian church for the next couple of centuries by Rome. It was normal to go to church and truly think you might not make it home that you might wind up in the Colosseum eaten by lions or killed by gladiators or imprisoned and tortured. So there was ferocious persecution of the church in the first century. Now John, who is writing this great epistle to these seven churches in Asia Minor and actually to the church at large, said, Caesar claims global power. But there is a sovereign power even over Caesar. That Caesar's throne is not the greatest throne in the world, but there is a throne at the center of the universe, and Jesus is he who sits on that throne, who rules the Caesars and everyone and everything else. And no one can touch a hair on your head beloved flock of God without the will of God and of his son, Jesus Christ. Now that truth is pictured in these two chapters. 
One other thing I need to point out is that in the first century, there were two empires. Each empire was set on conquering the whole world. There was the empire of the kingdom of Christ, and where there was the empire of Rome. And neither one of those empires would rest until the other had been defeated, annihilated, and the kingdom of that victorious empire spread all over the world. So Rome persecuted the church. Why? Because it was a threat to them. I guarantee you that if the church had not been a threat to Rome, Rome would have never persecuted it, would have never put a hand against it. But they understood something about the threat of the Christian empire. So they tried to kill it out of existence. And of course, the more they tried to kill it, the more it grew. And eventually, it was the Roman Empire that crumbled and died. And today, it sits in great ruins in the city of Rome. That is the reason the persecution was so heavy. There was another king, one Jesus. There were two curios of the first century, two that claimed that name. And remember, the name Kyrios is the Greek word for Lord, but it means much more than Lord. It means more than king. It means more than emperor. The word Kyrios means king of all kings and lord of all lords, the authority above whom there is no other. That was Caesar's favorite name for himself. But the Christians came along and declared war on Caesar, claiming rightfully so, you become a Christian by confessing that Jesus is the Kyrios, by confessing that there is one Lord, one King of Kings, and he does not sit in Rome or Washington, D.C. He is sitting at the right hand of God. So believe in Christ, they would say. Cheer up, have hope, persevere. Don't worry about what's happening to you because Jesus, who loves you, is in control of everything. And that is the point of Revelation 4 and 5. Now, the focus of Revelation 4 is a throne, and the focus of Revelation 5 is a book that is in the right hand of the person sitting on that throne. And the second focal point is the person that takes that book out of the right hand of the person who is sitting on the throne. Then the rest of the fifth chapter, as well as the sixth and the seventh and the eighth, is about what happens when that book is opened. So the first thing we need to know when we study this fifth chapter is what does this book symbolize? Well, we don't have to guess. For once again, as I have said several times, most of the figures of speech in the book of Revelation are taken from somewhere else in Scripture, and that is the case here. What do we know about this book? Notice it is a book that is written on the outside and on the inside. That is, there is nothing left out. Everything is included. There's no empty spaces left to be filled in by chance. 
Whatever this book is, it is full and nothing else can be added to it. And it says it is sealed with seven seals, symbolizing that the contents of this book are undiscoverable by man's reason or experience and unknowable except by divine revelation. The only way you can find out what is in this sealed book is for someone to open the seal so you can see the content of the book. Now, what is this book? Well, let's look at a few passages to figure this out. Look first at Exodus 32. And you'll see there a similar description. It's not actually a book, but something else that is written upon. Exodus 32, and we'll read verses 15 and 16. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets which were written on both sides. They were written on one side and the other. The tablets were God's work, and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. Now, it is obvious, I hope, what these two tablets are. They represent the law of God that he gave to Moses in the Mosaic Covenant. And these two tablets were written on both sides. They were filled up with writing just like this book in Revelation 5, which should lead us to believe that there is some connection between the book in Revelation 5 and that written that is written all over, or as I'm sure you know, this book really was a scroll that was written on both sides, and then these two tablets that were written on both sides. Now, these two tablets were God's standard of righteousness by which he evaluates all human actions, his law, by which he determines whom he will bless and whom he will curse. So in some way, this scroll is identified with the righteous standard of God's law by which he judges his enemies. Now, let's go a little further and see if the New Testament can be any more specific for us. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 2. And here you will see exactly where John got this symbol. Ezekiel 2, reading verses 9 and 10. Then I looked, and behold, a hand was extended to me, and lo, a scroll was in it. When he spread it out before me, it was written on the front and the back, and written on it were lamentations, mourning, and woe. So here you have the identical picture from Ezekiel 2 in Revelation 5. So what is this scroll? This scroll is full of judgment. It is full of lamentations, mourning, and woe. In other words, this scroll that Ezekiel talks about And that John refers to is a scroll about how God's righteous judgment brings lamentations, condemnation, and destruction upon those who live in rebellion against him. And that is whether they are Romans, whether they are apostate Jews, or whether they are hypocritical apostate Christians, whoever they may be. 
If it is an apostate church, a radical anti-Christian empire, whatever it is, this is a book that is full of curses and condemnation in the application of God's law to the affairs of men. We could say, figuratively speaking, that Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26 are in this book because those chapters contain a magnificent declaration of the specific blessings that God will bring to those who are faithful to his word and curse after curse to those who are unfaithful to it. So the scroll that is pictured here in the fifth chapter of Revelation is a record of how God is going to pour out his judgment upon those who rebel against his law. And it is written on both sides. It is full of every detail of history. There is nothing left out. There is nothing for man to fill in. The entire scope of history is to be found in this book and how God judges men according to his law. It is in the right hand of the person sitting on the throne in that this book is an administration of God's sovereignty. It represents an administration of God's government and of God's rule. So in this book, you have the record of how a sovereign God dispenses covenant curses and covenant blessings upon his enemies and, of course, those blessings upon his friends. That is the important thing to bear in mind as we study this chapter. In fact, look at chapter 6, verse 1, and you'll see this. And I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, come and see. Then first there was a white horse, and then there was a red horse of war, and then there was an ashen horse of death. So as these seals are opened, the judgments of God begin to fall upon his enemies, apostate Judaism, apostate Christian churches, and anti-Christian Rome. It goes throughout the sixth chapter, the seventh chapter also, and then notice how the eighth chapter begins. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before the throne, and seven trumpets were given to them. So you see the progression here. There is this book. It has seven seals. And then the seals are opened, and more and more judgments are dealt out. And then when this last seal is opened, seven more trumpets blast. So you see, much of the book of Revelations flows right out of this scroll. Now, upon whom were God's covenant curses and God's covenant blessings to come to rest upon? It is Israel, the covenant people of God. And remember, I said the first part of the book is about how Christ brings judgment to bear upon apostate Judaism, upon Israel who had to turn their back on God. And then the last part of the book of Revelation is how Christ eventually destroys the great Roman anti-Christian empire for its persecution of the church. But now these curses are coming out of this book in the right hand of our sovereign God upon his apostate church, 
upon those who rebel against him and refuse to heed his word. Now, there's a great problem, however, and that is someone has got to open this book, and not just anyone can do it. The person has to have the authority and the character to open this book, or the contents will never be known, and the contents will never be administered. And the enemies of God's church will never be judged. There will never be a distinction then between good and evil in human life. And life will be hell. So notice the big point he makes. Verse 2. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I therein began to weep greatly. You can certainly sympathize with John here if you are using your imagination. It says, because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. Now remember, this is the administration of God's decrees. This is the administration of God's curses and God's promises upon the people of this earth. But it has to be opened before anything can happen. Much like a perfume bottle. A perfume bottle won't do you much good unless you open the bottle. And the same is true here. The book has got to be opened. These curses and blessings must be administered. Or the church doesn't have any future and Caesar wins after all. But no one is in a position to open this book. No one among all creation is worthy to open it. And John, who is writing this, is crying like a baby. He's weeping greatly. He wants someone to open this book, but there's no one worthy of even looking in it. What is going to happen to us, he must be saying. Verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah and the root of David has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. So this elder who is sitting around the throne, but who is this elder? Remember from chapter 4, you have this throne of God in the middle of all things, and then the 24 smaller thrones surrounding this throne that the elders set on. 24 being 12 patriarchs from the Old Testament and the 12 apostles from the New Testament, all of them together representing the entire church of God in Holy Scripture. They're sitting around the throne of God, praising him. And then one of these elders comes and says to John the Apostle, Stop crying. John, don't, don't weep any longer. There is someone worthy. There is only one person worthy of opening the book and administering its content. And that person is worthy because he is the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David. Now, before we see why those two titles made this person worthy, let's talk just a little bit about these elders. 
Notice what these elders are pictured as doing in Revelation 4. They are sitting around the throne at the feet of Jesus. They have on white garments. Their sins have been forgiven. They're marching in the train of Christ's triumph. They are living lives of joy, knowing the victory belongs to Christ. They have crowns on their heads. They are exercising dominion over themselves, self-discipline, discipline over the church and over the community, covenant community. They take the crowns off. They cast them at Jesus' feet because they recognize that anything good they have in their lives, they got from God. They didn't get it from themselves. And they are here singing these wonderful hymns of praise in chapters 4 and 5. And now one of these elders presents Jesus as the one and only one who can open the book. And before I go any farther, I pray for Stephen and I, as your elders, that what these chapters say as pictures of elders will be pictured of us. That we will be men in white clothes with crowns sitting at the feet of Jesus, singing his praises and presenting Christ as the Savior and the sovereign of the entire world. But now, elders are representatives of the church, and this is not a double standard here. For what all Christians should be, elders must be. And the point is, what is demanded of elders, my friends, is demanded of all Christians in terms of the Christian life. So my prayer is that what is true of these representatives of the church will also be true of all of us in this church. That we will all have white clothes. That we will all have crowns cast at Jesus' feet. And that we will all sing praises to Christ. And that we, will, we offer and present Christ to the world as the only one in the world who is worthy to be our Savior and our Sovereign. So that is a great picture of all these elders. Now, there are two things about this man who is obviously Jesus that makes him qualified to open this book, which means he is the only person that can take the decrees of God and cause them to happen. He is the only one who can take this record of God's covenant curses and covenant blessings and cause them to come true in the lives of God's people and in the lives of his enemies. Now, what qualifies him? Well, his first title is the lion that is from the tribe of Judah. What, what a description. There's a piece of artwork, some of you probably know this, by the artist Carol Bomer, B-O-U-M-E-R. It is a figurative presentation of the death of Christ. You see the great lion's face, a powerful lion. And beneath the lion is a lamb's head with blood streaming from its throat. Under the blood is the Ten Commandments. So there is this great lion from the tribe of Judah 
who was also the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and pays the punishment that our law-breaking deserves. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, Post Mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are two in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found, again, at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless.